Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 19, Blood Oath. Teleplay by Peter Allen Fields and directed by Winrick Colby. This episode aired on March 27th, 1994. This week on Deep Space Nine, three old Klingon warriors reunite on Deep Space Nine, seeking Curzon Dax, with whom they entered into a blood oath to one day exact revenge on an enemy for killing the warrior's firstborn sons. Finding Jadzia as a worthy warrior as they felt Curzon to be, she joins the Klingons in competing their vendetta. I love how that summarizes it, but like a lot of stuff happens in between them co- arriving and them being like, "Okay, Jadzia, you're good to you're good to come with us." <laughs> no, I mean, and that's and that's ultimately like the bulk of the story, yeah. and, like, and I think that's. There are some things that we'll we'll get into that kind of make me go yeah. about this episode that like prevent me from like falling head over feet for it. Yeah. Um that was an Alanis reference for you, by yes, the way. Um, or I, hand I, over feet, I should say. Anyways, I screwed up the no, reference. No, it's well, head over feet. You're right. It's head over it? feet. Yeah. Okay. You did it you did good. And I oh, and I know. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I was aware. I will not sing. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. But like it's like our summary is very like spark notes in that like it's very thorough and it tells you what's happening in the text but this episode does have this um great kind of shakespearean tragedy sort of like elements with this whole grand revenge plot and um even the idea i haven't read um any of the um shakespearean kind of like history plays but um the way in which they write Kor as like a Falstaff character where he's kind of like a buffoon at first. And then, you know, he's actually more serious and has more pathos. And then is the one that kind of like lives to like tell the tale of the, the tragedy and things like that. It just, there's a lot of like grandiose Shakespeareanness in this episode that I really appreciate. It's almost kind of like the first Thor movie in that, that that's what one of the mm. things that I really dig about the first Thor movie is it's directed by Kenneth Branagh, who again is, kind of brana is this you know great yeah. kind of shakespearean actor and, and things like that and there's definitely that kind of level of of grandioseness to this episode that i dig yeah i'm not as familiar with um those kind of shakespearean stories but i can see um where you're coming from with that i um I just, I definitely remembered this episode. I have very fond memories of it, and I was excited to get to it. Um, Dax's connection to Klingon culture is something that, in my opinion, is one of the cornerstones of her character. So it's really great to see that finally being presented to us. Um, this is kind of the first time that we we see that, and I just... I'm glad to see where it starts, even though obviously it really starts from Curzon. Um, but I love that Dax continues in the tradition of, or I love that Jadzia continues in the tradition of Curzon Dax and being, you know, a Klingon culture understander. <laughs> it's funny. Um, 
when I was doing my Star Trek RPG, which I've now stopped doing, mostly just from scheduling and have too, too much going on, um, you kind of have, like, it's almost like a, the way I thought of it was like a minor in college. Like, I had, like, a, a specific culture that I knew, like, a little bit about, and I feel like Jadzia's is Klingon culture. Like, she, like, my, I mean, she didn't actually minor in it in Starfleet Academy, but I feel like she, like, has that knowledge. <laughs> it's just from well, experience, not from being taught it. Yeah, and, like, I think that's, like, one of, like, the cool things when you think about um, the idea of the trail being a joint species and, like, the Dax symbionts and, and, and things like that. And, like, that's... And that relationship between host and symbiont and what are the obligations and what are the things, like, it's... It's really interesting in this episode because you have this kind of cultural exchange between what are the expectations of Trill society, what are the expectations of Klingon society, and then what are the expectations of, you know, the morality of, like, a Starfleet officer. Right. And things like this. And all these things kind of at, at play, and it's, oh, it's good. It's good. It it's is good. good. Right I... for drama. Right for drama. <laughs> I should mention that before we started this podcast, Matt got me a Jadzia Dex Playmates figurine um, in celebration of our decision to create this podcast together. And yesterday we, we were talking about this episode and he sent me a link to a Jadzia figure in her Klingon armor from this episode, as well as a few others that are from episodes we have not gotten to yet. And let me tell you, friends, I bought all three of them. And I have two already, so I feel like I'm just going to be a Jadzia Dax Playmates collector. So I'm, like, well on my way. Uh, yeah. That was, I had a good, good chuckle uh, <laughs> when that one went down yesterday. Like, he but, just I mean... sent it to me and, like, like, to show me. And then, like, probably not even, like, three minutes later, I was like, I bought all of them. <laughs> Well, and they're pretty, like, they're pretty affordable. Yeah, I think the most expensive one was, like, $14 or something like that. Which which makes me, like, laugh, because, again, I remember, like, when I, because I have a bunch of the Playmates figures I need to, like, go through and do something with. I brought them back from my parents' house over the summer, and I haven't gone through them yet, because that's work, Um, which ones (laughs) I want to keep and and which ones I want to divest myself of. But I remember, as a kid, antagonizing over whether to open them or not. And then, of course, I did, because I was a kid and wanted to play with them. Yeah. But I was like, oh, they're going to be... But as I got, like, older into my, like, you know, teens and was still buying this stuff, I was like, oh, do I want to open it? Don't I want to open it? It'll be worth money someday. And now it's like... I'm glad I didn't because I look at it and a lot of these, they're like literally new in package, like $10. And yeah. Like, uh, I, I got $10 worth of enjoyment playing, playing yeah, with them. Yeah, for sure. Or just looking at them and posing them as a teen, which I think ostensibly is playing with them. So, yeah. <laughs> um, One thing I will say about this episode is I was sad that O'Brien wasn't in it. <laughs> I don't I think Julian of... was in it either, too. Well, no, and I don't think um, Jake was either. Um, but I yeah. did. Um, yeah, I didn't even think about Julian. Oops. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I love Julian, but like I love O'Brien. <laughs> um, I can't imagine what either of them would have even had to do in this episode. So it's fine for plot purposes. But I was like, oh, sad face, O'Brien. I would have enjoyed seeing O'Brien interacting with, like, Kor, Koloth, and Kang, though. Like, I feel like that would have been funny. 
So there is one thing in this, not just one thing, but there is one thing in this episode that we kind of want to call out as something that we found both found problematic, and that is that every time the the anyone in the episode was discussing the villain that they were going to go after, they referred to them as the albino, and. We do not condone referring to people in this way. Lack of production of melanin is an offensive way to refer to someone, and we do not support that. So Matt had mentioned that there was a novel that was, it was, was it like what happened to make them need this revenge blood oath? I, I think so. Like, full disclosure, I haven't, I haven't yeah. read it. Well, the book is um, called Forged in Fire. And I think I read that Sulu is in it too. Yeah, so it's it's also like concurrently running with like it's the story of like how Sulu became captain of like oh, the Excelsior. I kind of um, want to read that now because that is something I find interesting. In this book, they referred to the villain of this episode as Cog or Koch. How I don't know how Koch. you like, Koch. Koch. I like, like yeah. I don't speak Klingon, so I was like when I when I when we were talking about it and like doing the notes, I was like. Just put in weird collateral stops and go with it. Apologies to our listeners who speak Klingon. <laughs> I mean, they're not. I tried actual, to teach myself as they're a not kid actually Klingon, so I'm not apologizing to them. <laughs> it's not a real language. Um, I will not say. Okay, I mean, yes and no, but anyways, you're right. There um, are, yeah. Uh, so we are going to refer to that character as Kuch, Kuch. going forward because we do not support calling him what they call him in this episode um there's also some confusion about whether Kach, i'm just gonna say Kach, whatever is Kach. klingon or not um it's interesting because on memory alpha for this on memory alpha it says species unknown but there was something on star trek.com where they called him a klingon but in this episode he calls kor koloth and kang klingon filth at one point and i can't imagine like me calling someone human filth, like that doesn't make sense. Um, so, but that's fine. We are not obsessed with canon on this podcast, so whatever. That, I mean, I think, yeah. I think, sorry, just to no, to you're jump fine. Um, I think, like, in, re- in response to that, too, like, I don't think that, like, from my reading, that that comment precludes Kach, um, <laughs> from like necessarily like being Klingon and not right. to necessarily like go into like a discourse but like calling someone Klingon filth could just be like they're not a true Klingon Um, or like kind of like the different things like that because like we've seen a lot um even like back and kind of like when the Klingons um are first like when Worf meets our first non-Worf Klingons in in the first season of TNG they're like renegades who like want to you know oppose the the peace treaty and like things like that so I I, I think you're right it's messy and the script doesn't explicitly say and then beta canon is just that beta canon it just Um, occurred to me that it it could be similar to call like someone calling someone white trash or something like that like or deplorable or yeah like where you're like also part of the same you're also white and you're saying that about someone else which is also something i don't call people but i i feel like you're right it could be like yeah. probably it's, it's doesn't not mean clear he, yeah it and doesn't the, really the script, matter but no on the script in the episode doesn't name them a klingon but yeah like, Kach has a like klingon adjacent experience and we've yeah. never seen a klingon that um has 
albinism or albi- like oh, like before, yeah. right? So and, like that, it makes it messy. Yeah, and we do see Klingons of different races in Discovery season one, which is I find really interesting. Um, I know a lot of people did not like the way that Klingons were designed for Discovery season one. I very much enjoy it. I think it was a really interesting to show that. Klingons are not a monolith. Um, they have different experiences. And I think that the other series kind of missed out on this and put... I mean, yes, there are different um, factions that are warring with each other at different times. But I think it's important to show that there are different races within the Klingon species. And that people have different experiences. And that is something that I think only Discovery has really... Um, shown us yeah and I, and I think as to build off of that it's interesting kind of to consider too that like again the klingon empires what what they call it and so like ostensibly there are other like conquered races within the empire even when core is introduced and i think it's errand of mercy in the in the original series he's like the governor of um i think it's Ar- argania the this planet that the the klingons like invaded right and, and right. you know he's kind of running it and being this kind of colonial sort of sort of deal so like makes me think of when the british came to america and put their governors in you know well totally and it, like and, it, and, it, and i wonder too like in um kind of ancient history in spartan culture where spartans are so you know con- spartan citizens are like hey yeah we're fighting all the time and blah 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 it was the peoples that they conquered that ostensibly ran um what would be the equivalent of like our bureaucracies and things like that, which is like not a perfect comparison, but um, yeah, it was the Helots, it was the non-Spartans who they conquered, who they brought back that like ran a lot of things because the Spartans were concerned with Spartan things and being like that. <laughs> so it's like, is there things like that going on in the Klingon Empire, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's definitely interesting. And like, hmm, yeah, the whole idea of like, in universe versus out of universe and different things like in regards to like the makeup changes and updates with the Klingons right. gets kind of thorny really quickly. <laughs> not even just, not even just respectfully from a, do you like canon explanations? It didn't need a canon explanation, but like the Klingons in the sixties and at continuing that with like the coloration, even with the ridges, um, it's like, brown face and yellow face right like it's not great um it's it's bad very bad no thank you um and like one thing that i do appreciate about the discovery um reboot or like you know just makeup changes reimagination it's reimagination yeah there you go reboot's a loaded word um while it might not have been my like favorite like personal aesthetic choices i think it was a kind of a clever way to sign of change just make it even more alien and kind of move away from the whole like hey let's put you know like white actors in um you know yeah vaguely looking yellow um menace sort of like fu manchu makeup right yeah yeah and then i guess like more specifically just to kind of tie it back with the um 
kind of issues with how it portrays albinism. Um, this episode falls in the same traps of like many stories and even like going as far back as various fairy tales do in which villainy is connected with disability or disfigurement. Um, and it's similar in a lot of ways. And I think we'll be getting into this point very soon as we cover a future episode um, of Star Trek Deep Space Nine this season but um, of how villainy is also often queer-coded. Um, hello, Disney Renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> like, for, yeah, like, yeah. Um, and things there, too, of where it's like these coded traits or that this person is evil because they're dis- disfigured or, you know, different things like that. And that's not cool. And while it's entirely possible that cock um, also uses the albino as a title, reclaiming it for his whole like piracy gig. Um, you know, it's kind of like his uh, pirate name or title or like nickname <laughs> or things like yeah. that. The disdain for which Kang uses the title, which again, totally fair. You would definitely say that with disdain. He murdered your son. Yep. Um, but it also has the spinoff effect of because the only real main traits we know of Kak are... He's an albino and he murders children. <laughs> so it like connects those things and like that those like that the child murderness with the albinism and uh not great. Not great. Yeah. No, thank you. It's a bummer. Mm. On a not bummer note. One of the main things that stands out for me in this episode, and I think for a lot of Trek fans in the queer community, is um, Dax's reunion with Kor. And this is something that I've seen memed all o- like over and over again. So like when we got to this episode, I was really excited to watch it again. Um, when they meet, he says to her, oh, Curzon, because he, he, she explains, I was formerly Curzon Dax. And... He, you know, at that point, he doesn't know her name. So he says, oh, Curzon Dux, my beloved old friend. And, like, they're hugging. And he, she corrects him and says, I'm Jadzia now. And then he corrects himself by saying, oh, well, Jadzia, my beloved old friend. And they're all embracing. And I literally started crying. I love it. Um, Kor knows his friend is still his friend. He's not going to dead name her again. And he uses she, her pronouns to describe her. It's just a wonderful scene. Whether or not the intention was to be a trans allegory, I, I, it doesn't matter to me. It was, it's so, it's so beautiful, and it just, it took a little bit longer with um, Koloth and Kang for sure, but the way Kor just, I mean, and part of it could be Kor's just like, yeah, you're hot now because he was very <laughs> much like, kiss me, but anyway, I just, it made me so happy just to see her like immediately be accepted as Jadzia. So does that mean Kor's a chaser? <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> chaser being a a term for straight cis men um who fetishize and are very um hypersexual towards trans women um yeah anyway sorry i hope not because i like court (laughs) 
And I think it's real, like you say, I don't know if the intent of this episode was to, or that right. with Cora was intended to be like a as strong of a um, trans allegory or, or gender fluid pr- pronouns discussion um, allegory as, as it is now, but it completely works. And like, I love when Star Trek holds up like this and even if that wasn't the intent and it's just again it's 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 rad and i dig it mm-hmm. i dig it again as we kind of pivot into talking about the the main plot um initially when um this episode was was being written um peter allen fields had the three klingon characters um in the blood oath as being new new creations and one of the fellow writers on the staff robert hewitt wolf who is often um i receive bears writing partner um was a, one of the tos fans on the writing staff and suggested using the three most famous original series klingons that Kirk had tangled with in the original series back in the 60s. So that's how it came about that Kangkor and Koloth were were the Klingons that were were brought in. Cool. I actually don't really remember that TOS episode. Like I'm I think because this is just like a me thing because the way that the Klingons are designed in the original series, I really have a hard time even remembering who the Klingons were in that original show. Um, and that could just be like, you know, because they don't have the ridges on their heads. I'm just like, it just goes in one. I was going to say in one eye out the other. <laughs> I don't think that works that way. Like ears, but you know, like it doesn't, it's not in per- like it hasn't made like an impression on me. So I just don't remember what they looked like in the original show. Yeah. And like, I think out of like the three of them with like respect to William Campbell, who plays Koloth, um, Kolos' appearance on the original series is probably not none of the, none of them are like forgettable, but he doesn't have the most to do. So he's in, um, uh, the trouble with tribbles. I also want to say yeah. trials and tribulations, which is a related episode but different that we'll get to. Yes. So like also he's related just kind to of... uh, playmates uh, I just bought. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, as much to do and like I like remember him more in his performance as Trelawney in the Squire of Gothos, um, where he's kind of like a proto Q type character and has the mirror and like, is a lot more like campier and stuff like in that episode. I think that one's a little bit more memorable. I think core is from errand of mercy, which is like I said, that that's the one where Kirk and Spock are undercover and you know, he's the governor and, and, and things like that. And then Kang is from a season three episode called day of the dove, where there's the Klingons on the Enterprise. I can't remember how they end up there. And there's this other malevolent force that like feeds off of anger and their violence and fighting. And they end up, you know, realizing this. And you'll see this like probably scene where at the end where Michael and Sarah's with William Shatner as, as Kirk and they're all together in the engine room and they're all laughing and having a good time. And then the other alien leaves. It's a very TOS episode that way. Um, but if you ever seen like screenshots of like, Kirk sword fighting with Klingons, that's uh Kang. Mm. I have I think maybe I'll go back and try to watch those episodes this week. I think it'll be better having um this episode that we're discussing as like a 
touchstone for the for like where the characters all end up yeah and i think that their characterizations are a little bit different obviously for for several reasons i very much enjoy their characterizations in this Mm -hmm. episode and that was uh one of actually john colicos who plays core one of his concerns about coming back is he was looking they sent him the script as it was being written and early on um core is like you say that that drunken buffoon and things like that and colicos was wasn't really feeling it. It was like I have you know this this following from the original series, and they're expecting this you know core who's smart and cunning and you know et cetera et cetera. And they're like, no, no, you're the false stuff. Like keep reading. You're the one who like actually has this like you know pathos and things like that. And yeah, it really it really works for me overall in terms of that. Um, and it's also funny too when you go and how they uh explained why they had to do it for hours and hours of makeup these like oh shit they would have probably been in like their 60s or whatever yeah. at this time sitting in hours of makeup it was like i don't have to do this back in the 60s it's like oh no no klingons look like this they guess get ridges as they age like don't worry about yeah. it yeah <laughs> which i think which i think was a really like smart way because originally they considered having them appear as they did in the original series right um and i think just making them look more like modern klingons was was a smart yeah i think it would have been unbelievable otherwise like i wouldn't it would have not made sense to me um yeah (laughs) if they had them without ridges So we find out once the gang um, shows up on Deep Space Nine that Koch is responsible for killing Kang's. Did okay? Did he kill all of their firstborns, or just Kang's son? I think it was all of them. Okay, but Curzon, Dax, and Kang were so close that Curzon was Kang's son's yeah. godfather, yeah. and. His yeah. son was named Dax. Like, so when he was killed, they all the four of them took a blood oath to get revenge on Kok, and Kang has now located him. So the the plan is to kind of they came, I guess, looking for Curzon and found Jadzia. That was not really uh, that was kind of something. It was funny they explained it that way in Memory Alpha, but I don't remember them like specifically coming and saying like, "Is Curzon here?" Um, in the no. episode, it was kind of just like, "What?" You know, maybe Deep Space Nine was like the closest place towards where um, they needed to go. No, I like. I think they they knew that Dax was on. Deep Space Nine, but like they weren't aware of Curzon dying. Okay. Yeah, and like because they weren't sense. able to check it before because they were keeping shit on the the down low. Right. As as it said to kind of like what they thought were sneaking in because like when Koloth meets Jadzia, he he says something, and this is before he Kang said this is a episode. mistake. Yeah, if Kang had known, he wouldn't have something something something. Yeah. Right? So yeah, that makes sense. So basically, like, as I said earlier, Kor is kind of like, yeah, Jadzia, you know, like, he accepts her and is very much, like, treating her as as he would have treated Curzon. But the rest of them, Koloth and Kang, take a lot more convincing. And I was reading on Memory Alpha, there was a quote from Terry Farrell from the Deep Space Nine companion, 
where she was explaining how she had to have a different approach to get each of these Klingons to kind of be on her side and understand where she was coming from. So I'm going to read the quote real quick. Um, With Kor, I had to convince him he was a hero and that in my eyes, he would always be a hero. So that was philosophical. With Koloth, I had to prove that I was strong enough to go to battle with him. So that was physical. And with Kang, I had to prove to him that my desire and need to be part of this blood oath was strong enough that I could not imagine staying behind and that was mentally strong and ca- and that I was mentally strong and capable enough. So I had to exhibit the honor, the physical strength and the mental persever- perseverance to go with them. And I think they did a really good up ep- ver- like a sorry. And I think they did a really good job of showing us that in the episode. For all the heavy lifting that this episode does in terms of like teasing out Jadzia's relationship and knowledge on uh, a relationship with Klingon culture, it all flows really organically and natural. And like, it is a big part of her characterization and her character going forward. And it hadn't really been mentioned much until this point, but it just flows so naturally. Like it's just really efficient, really efficient storytelling. I, I like I like the idea of having Jadzia being trill and having these past lives. It really, really, it makes for a really interesting story because it can pull from the past and it doesn't have to be a past that we've seen before. So it doesn't have to be a repeat of something that happened in a prior episode. So it could just be a history that they pull from that's still new to the viewer. And I just think that that is so smart and such a great there's like a unlimited amount of stories you can tell because of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally agree totally agree and then in, in addition to how dax has to you know negotiate and prove prove herself or feels like she has to prove herself in the ways that she negotiates the different um perspectives and and traits of the three Klingons. I'd be remiss if I didn't call out specifically the scene between Dax and Kira, where it's clear that Dax is taking this blood oath very seriously. And even though it was Kurtzon and this is Jadzia now, um, she feels like compelled and, you know, feels a sense of duty, but Jadzia hasn't killed anyone. And she's asking Kira about it. And we see these, these glimpses into Kira's trauma that she still carries with her about, you know, the occupation and being part of the resistance and what it's like to take a life and to take lives multiple times and how Kira feels like a little piece of you dies too. And just you really see, again, a window into some of the weight that that Kira carries. Um, I had a friend who was watching Deep Space Nine for the first time and had just watched Battle Lines recently, the season one episode. Um, and it just, I've been really in my Kira feelings <laughs> lately and kind of the, the load that she she carries. Okay, but real talk, when are you not in your Kira feelings? <laughs> I mean, like, they're just, the volume's been like turned up just a little bit. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also enjoy the whole conversation around whether the blood oath even still stands. Um, you know, Jedzia is convinced that Klingon blood oaths can never be broken, even though trolls are not obligated to oaths or promises made by previous hosts. 
It does seem like while Jadzia completely understands this, she knows how important it was to Curzon and the fact that, you know, Curzon was this boy's godfather. So she really wants to go on this revenge mission and she may be doing it out of that obligation, but I don't think she's unhappy about it. I think she really, really, really wants to participate and wants to take this revenge because in no you know, Curzon's still a part of her. Yeah, and like like Jadzia says to Kang that the the idea that at that time Kang would have such a close relationship with Curzon that like while negotiating that, you know, the Kinema Accords and the, the peace treaty between mm-hmm. the Federation that like a Federation diplomat would be chosen as like the godfather of this Klingon general's son. Huge like deal. It's, it's heavy. Like it's like that's how strong their relationship and how highly King felt of of Curzon. And yeah, Curzon's gone, but Dax is still still Dax. And like obviously Jedzia has the cultural out <laughs> if 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 she wanted it. But right. like she also feels that like it's both I think it's clear that it's both Jedzia and the Dax symbionts that are feeling this way because if Jadzia yeah. didn't feel that way, like, you know what I mean? No, you can definitely tell it's coming from her as well. Um, because, I mean, with Koloth, he's being very cynical about Curzon joining, even Curzon having joined the Blood Oath. He's like, oh, he just did it for diplomatic reasons, which I think is not true and Jadzia points that out like she's she's personally offended on Curzon's behalf and says that is a lie and then they have that amazing sparring scene which I loved and like after that he basically is like okay you can come and I do like that because she has to show him or remind him that she knows he's strong and she she teases him and is like, Oh, you'll only hurt me if you're old if you become old and feeble. I really laughed at that. It was really funny. Because that's the way old friends would talk to each other. And you wouldn't say that to someone you just met. Unless you were really trying to piss them off. Like she obviously is trying to pull at his heartstrings a little bit, I think, in there. And then with Kang and then Kang is the the one who's the most like you can't come and it's funny, um, she completely ignores the fact that he's, like, released her from the oath. <laughs> and, like you were saying, Jadzia reminds him of how close Curzon and Kang were. I mean, and how their friendship started and how she knew she had to get him angry. And that was the first way that they can finally bond together. And I think it was really interesting that she, her angle with Kang was to talk about you know, he's talking about his honor, and she's like, well, what about my honor? Like, you can't expect me to not honor myself. And, like, they're two, they're, they're, I guess each of their honors are in conflict with each other, or his, he feels that his honor is in conflict with hers, because he doesn't want to put her in, like, a situation where she would die. And I just love when she says, no Klingon would leave a comrade behind while he goes off to battle, and she's just further proving that she understands their culture and she knows how serious this all is. And then he was like, okay, you can come. (laughs) 
just made me, I just love how she wins them over, like, throughout the episode. Yeah, and, like, what's interesting, too, is you kind of find out over the, the course of the episode, um, and even when King gets introduced, he's, like, asks what kind of death Curzon had, and, um... Oh, yes, yes, yes. He's, he's, says it's unfortunate that Curzon died struggling for life in a hospital, as opposed to in battle, and, like... What part of why King doesn't want Jadzia to come on this is like this is ostensibly a suicide mission, right? Like mm-hmm. Cock knows that they're coming and they've arranged like, you know, one song glory, one song before <laughs> I go. Oh god. Don't make me cry on this podcast. Behind, but no, but like this is like going out, like kind of in that that blaze of glory and, no, and things yeah. like that. Um, it's like, and King I'm Noah like Jetsy literally tearing up because you're singing ha- Roger's song. Like, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Has, <laughs> Sorry, has her whole life ahead of her, and it's it's basically like, yeah, it's like euthanasia by Batleth and Blood Oath. Um, because they're old, they're tired, they have, like, and it's just, like, that, that different perspective, which in some ways, like, doesn't feel, like, it feels Klingon, but it also doesn't feel super Klingon. Yeah, it feels like they're almost gonna give up in the end, like, they're just, like, it's, and, and because of that, they're so lucky to have Jadzia with them, because she's, like, young, and she has skills that Curzon did not have. And she is coming to this with a new perspective, with a different perspective. And I think that that was really interesting because they're talking about their battle plan and how they're going to go guns blazing or whatever, you know, badlift blazing. And (laughs) she's like, you're all going to get yourselves killed. And they're like, yeah. And she was like, why don't we just do this in a smarter way? Because she's a science officer and she has devices and she's like well we can disrupt their phasers they're not going to win in a battle fight with us so why don't we disrupt their other weapons and that way we have a better chance of not dying and i just thought that was such a much better plan <laughs> yeah and, and it's like almost as if jadzia at this point is being more klingon than the klingons right in terms of like hasn't hasn't necessarily given up Right. The same way that, like, it's seemingly, like, Kang, who is, is you know, just tired of it all. Um, yeah. I did, like, when they were, um, I guess, on whatever planet they went to to go fight him. Um, she was like, we need someone fast to go do blah, blah, blah. She was like, you're all old, so I'll take that. I'll volunteer for that part. <laughs> I don't remember what the, spe- he sh- the, the specific word. It was probably turning off, doing the disruptor thing or whatever. But I didn't really have much to say about like the actual fighting in general. Um, besides the f- because I was more just like watching it and enjoying it. Um, yeah. But I did give like I hated Koch when he was like, "You're far too lovely to sport such a deb- deadly weapon." So on top of a child murderer, he's also a misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which yeah yeah yeah, yeah in, in term and i just i think it's worth like calling out i had this funny thought when i was watching the episode that the outside of Koch's compound 
is um, a house that was actually designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I was thinking about you're like driving around, you know, in, in greater Los Angeles somewhere, and here's this like, you know, historic home, and you're like, there's like all these Klingons <laughs> just like running around. It's like, LA, baby. It reminds me of the earthquake that we talked about last week, where like everyone went home in their makeup to check on their family members. Yeah, that exactly. is really funny. I'm like looking at Frank Lloyd Wright homes. I think there's one, there's a building in Pennsylvania that um, I've been to, but I don't remember where it was. Like we've driven past. <clears throat> um, I really enjoyed that Jadzia was holding Koch's attention so that, and then Kang can kill him and she he thanks Jadzia for letting him have like the dying blow because in the moment I didn't think that that's what was happening like I didn't re- I forgot that Kang was behind him or I don't remember if I knew so it was like a nice oh yeah we got him now and even like Jadzia knowing to like hold Cox's attention then mm-hmm. that like what that you know, having the final blow would have done to... To Kang. Um, like, how important yeah. it would be for him. Because she understands them. So, unfortunately, Kang and Koloth both died in this battle. Which, I was surprised that all three of them didn't die, actually. Yeah, but I th- I think, like, for Kors, like, character kind of arc over the episode to work like he needs to be the one that kind of like lives to sing the songs of this day right like yeah he's the one who tells the story he's like um i think on i was reading that when they Is were he the samwise the, Gamgee of the group yeah or like the ishmael from um moby dick right mm. he's i like never read that actually i mean i actually haven't read it either it's just, <laughs> i think was Os- part of their pitch that i read on memory alpha to <laughs> uh, to john colicos we just to, know the uh, osmosis of uh yeah moby of dick. <laughs> one thing that i want to call out when both times i was watching this episode i will admit that when Koloth and Kang died. I was really surprised that Kor and Jadzia didn't do the Klingon scream when their friends died. (laughs) I really was expecting it and just didn't. And we didn't get it. I don't know if that was like an intentional or if they just forgot and left it out. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it might have been like a discussion, but like, that's a really good catch because again, I know that like that's something that. Klingon cultures do to to warn the dead that a no warrior is 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 approaching um so remember when you you hadn't really watched any of the Star Trek shows and now you're picking out um breaks (laughs) I'm like why didn't they do this (laughs) I know Um, I'm like I was a little impressed with myself yeah so like whether it was like an intentional or not like I'm okay with them like breaking canon. Oh yeah, like, no, it didn't feel like because like it didn't feel wrong the melancholy tone like I don't know it just it might have cut into some of the kind of sadness for me. Yeah, it, it might just... have made it a little sillier. Yeah. Not that I think that Klingon traditions are silly or anything, but that it's so it's such a somber end. Like even in the last scene, like we don't when he, when she comes back, we don't like 
Kira and Benjamin like say nothing to her. You know, it's very quiet. I enjoyed the episode. Just the albino air quotes thing um just really bugs me yeah <laughs> it kind of it prevents very... me from going like all in yeah it was a very it was very uncomfortable for me as well i mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be star trek without kind of you know mix things like that so maybe we can flip the switch a little bit and let's do most star trek thing and then we can end on the the thirst quencher this week Okay, that that actually makes sense because my most Star Trek thing is related to the end of this episode. We didn't really discuss it, but earlier in the episode, Jed, uh, Benjamin comes to talk to Jadzia and basically is like, you can't go on this mission. Like, it goes against everything that Starfleet believes in. And she's like, basically she says, I don't, she's, I mean, I get the impression that she's like, well, fire me if you have to. Like, this is too important. Um, but for me, the most Star Trek thing was the fact that when she came back, there were literally no consequences. <laughs> um, even though she was told not to go, when she returns, he he doesn't say anything to her about it. And I don't remember if anything happens next week, but I doubt it. So there was just, like, a threat that was not followed through. Not, like, a threat, but, like, it was very, like... He implied there might be some consequences, but there were was literally nothing. I did like kind of the, that final kind of like, it's the end of the episode. Jitsi goes to op. She's back. She's doing her, her job back to work like normal. And like, she's like processing shit. Kira knows she's processing her shit and kind of gives her that look. And it's like, you get the sense that like, things will never be the same for Jedzia. And then because of the era of Trek storytelling, it's like, you never hear from it again. Yeah. Maybe she got written <laughs> so, up, but it was her first offense, so we it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and my, my most kind of Star Trek thing, in addition to that, we kind of talked about it already, but it's just like, put a Klingon makeup discourse. <laughs> um, and things like that. Yeah. So... And what spoiler alert for future seasons, we'll probably bring this up again. Yes. Although I do <laughs> like how they handle it in the one episode that we are, that is related to the TOS episode. Anyway. I have mixed feelings. Um, I think it, it's, I think it is a really good moment in that episode, but it also gives the writers of enterprise an excuse to like muck around yeah i haven't gotten i haven't gotten to yeah um, it's not till season discussion in enterprise and i have a feeling that i'm not going to like any of that that happens but i thought it was a funny moment in that episode and and it would have been great if it was left it should have just left there yeah yeah it should have just been left there sorry for Um, people that have not watched deep space nine before but you will know what we're talking about when we get there because we will mention it again for sure yeah um all right well i don't know about you elise but uh we've been been recording for a bit and uh i'm feeling a little thirsty so who are you thirsting are you thirsty are you what are you who and what are you thirsting for this week i am (laughs) i am very thirsty um for jazia with the batleth in her hands i mean (laughs) is there anything she can't do yeah she's amazing 
What about you? Yeah, I think that like when Jedzy is wearing that sweater before she puts on. Oh, like, I love that sweater! Paul, oh my god! Before before she puts on, it was like, like the a sweater Klingon armor yeah. pieces. Or it was whatever, a like sweater jumpsuit. Get it yeah, right? <laughs> it was, yeah. No, that was. She looked good. Yeah, she, she did. Good. I was watching it with my mom the first time, and I literally was like, "I want that outfit." <laughs> it was great. Yeah, she looked excellent, and it didn't feel. And because they didn't show it, like, for the whole time, like, they kind of showed it, like, waist up, it didn't feel yeah. as male gazy as, say, like, um, Seven of Nine's outfit in Voyager or T'Pol's ep- uh, outfit in Enterprise. Like, it just felt like Jazia put this on because it was comfortable and cute. Yeah. And yeah, fit under functional. the armor. Like, it didn't feel as yeah. gross. Well... Until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at well as at Maddie M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch me talking about Mad Men with friends of this podcast on my Mad Men podcast, Still Great Bob. You can catch Elise and I together on Twitter and Instagram at PodWraiths. And you can also email us at PodWraiths at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. And again, thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.